Welcome back to the next edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the Senior Content Manager here at Sports Pro Media, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Nick, how was your weekend? Uh, you know, without going into the the juicier bits of it, because we're going to talk about it, you know, was it an enjoyable weekend for you? Very good weekend. Uh, lots happening uh, in the sporting world and uh, got been building, had a little bit of a house project I'm trying to build, something which uh, basically I bought a mini shed for our bins for our house which i thought was going to come complete but instead it's come in flat packed with very little instruction so i'm trying to build it so the, something that was supposed to be a plug and play i've now spent the last three weekends trying to put it together bit by bit and what i've worked out is i'm really not a handyman uh and i really wish i'd spend a little bit more money on <laughs> getting getting the thing delivered in one piece but uh, otherwise I had a really good weekend with with the family well i'll tell you right now i do not do diy but my wife is a, a diy expert um she's built a, a foldable bed frame in our guest bedroom so when guests come it's a bedroom when they're not there it becomes my office space so i fold it up um she's currently got the power saw out doing a bunch of uh, diy in our bedroom so if you want you know we can probably negotiate something i'm sure she'll have it built uh, in no time for you you need to get her over we've got plenty of things that need to get done that it's, it's on my to-do list for the last 12 months since we lived here so uh yeah i have to bring you guys over for for a drink or two and uh, bring the bring the saw while you're at it as well for sure. Well, the other thing I got to do this weekend, uh, you know, you'll have more familiarity with this given how often you travel up to uh, Sweden. I had my first trip to the Nordics this weekend. For those that don't know, I'm the head coach for the Great Britain Women's National American Football Team. Um, and there is going to be a world championship this summer and it's being hosted in Helsinki in Finland. I got to my hotel on Friday at midnight and the sun was still up. Uh, it was a, it was a bizarre experience. Um, the sun didn't go down till about one and then they came back up around three. So I've never had anything quite like that, but, uh, I suppose in the winter I hear it's like that with the sun being down. So that was my first experience of the Nordics. Well, interestingly, the Nordics are, you know, widely regarded as one of the happiest countries to be in. So I think those polls are typically done in the summer because also I think they have the highest suicide rates. So yeah. uh, you're either happy or you're wanting to kill yourself if you live in those countries, which is, I'm sorry for all our friends out there, but apparently it's a, it's a bit of an up and down, a bit of a yo-yo when you have the light uh, playing such crazy games or the sun playing such crazy games. But yeah, definitely surreal when you're, you're, you're sort of, about to go to bed and the sun's still up so uh, i have never got used to it all the time i've spent over there yeah it was it was it was a, it was a different experience but uh, i'll be back there in six weeks to uh get 11 days of it so we'll see if i get any more used to nice. it but uh so we, we kind of alluded to it but the other thing you got up to this weekend a little bit exciting a little bit of golf i think some people may have heard about something taking place in london yeah, I got a chance to go out to my first golf tournament in a number of years. In back in my previous life, I used to actually work in sort of the golf uh, industry back in Australia. I uh, worked a lot across a lot of live uh, golf events and one of the major uh, Australian events uh, out there many, many years ago. Um, but I haven't been back to an event for a long, long time since I went to probably an event. Uh, it might have been the Nordia Masters actually in Sweden, funnily enough, when they had 
their tournament out there. But this was, I got a chance to go out to hear the, the much talked about Live Golf uh, new series that's been launched, the inaugural tournament for it up at the Centurion, um, which, I mean, for those that haven't been paying a lot of attention, has been getting huge coverage for various reasons, whether it be. Um, where the money's coming from, uh, it, whether who it's led by, which is the CEO is is Greg Norman, who's of Australian ilk as well, one of the probably the greatest Australian golfer ever, who's managed to get this. I think it's a few it's a few billion. I'm not sure the exact number off the top of my head, but it's a few billion uh, from the Saudi-backed PIF, I think it's called, to fund this new initiative, which is shaped to disrupt the entire golfing landscape, and it has caused an incredible reaction an extraordinary reaction from all stakeholders in the sport, not least um, PGA Tour, which have really reacted quite heavily to their players who have decided to play in these tournaments. So it's caused a lot of a stir, uh, understandably so. Uh, lots of different opinions are running around about, is this tournament series, uh, should the players be joining it, given it is backed by the you know Saudi Saudi backers? Should this be in a place that's, that's disrupting the way the PGA Tour is run, which is the bedrock of the golfing, professional golfing world? Um, what impact will this have? Will it fragment and cause destru- destruction? Or is it good for the sport? Uh, so lots of opinions being thrown around all across the media, whether it be from sports washing to innovation to positives to negatives, uh, lots going on. But today we want to sort of dig more into the the media side, the digital side of the strategy, which is where this podcast is is built around and leave those those sort of conversations to the experts. Yeah, as you say, there's a, there's a lot of conversations taking place, a uh, bunch of different areas. Uh, I myself did my master's in sports law, so I talked about in my dissertation the exploitation of college athletes. So I typically tend to fall on the athlete side as, of a, as opposed to the organization side, but that's obviously a, a very long conversation elsewhere. And as you say, focusing a bit more on the, the actual broadcasting of it now, as I mentioned, I didn't really have the chance to watch much being in Finland, uh, but you know I was able to keep up a little bit with it from, uh, from your various Twitter threads you did in the, on there uh, between both in person, but also watching it from a broadcast. You know, what were some of your initial takeaways just from the actual viewing experience? Sure. Well, the first day of the event, I, I spent at home, and that was fairly intentionally. I wanted to sort of take in that broadcasting uh, experience, um, and obviously this for context. Again, you don't have to necessarily be a golf fan. For context, the the format is slightly different for the, how they typically run golfing events. For starters, it's three days instead of four. For it's called they 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 run what they call a shotgun start. Um, which, if you don't know what that means, basically that means that every group who is playing in the tournament starts at exactly the same time, but just on a different hole. So that means that everyone is is playing at the same time and everyone's finishing about the same time. Whereas that the difference is for say a PGA Tour event in the initial fields you have about 150 players in the first round and second round. They'll be starting from early doors at maybe six seven in the morning and, and the last tee off will be at one. So the whole day can span across ten or eleven hours. Where this is concentrated to about a four or five hour window. Um, and so what I was really interested to see is look. There's huge amounts of money, like more money than has been behind any idea or initiative that's launched in recent decades. So expecting big things, I was really surprised that actually had quite the opposite uh, result of this. They decided to broadcast through Facebook and YouTube uh, as their primary channels, as well as their own website. So let's, let's start with that. The broadcast production of that was, was fine. 
um, was very light. So I was expecting some real innovation to be thrown at us. You know, uh, for context, the uh, one of the most uh, f- infamous or famous uh, sort of broadcast production execs in the industry is David Hill, who is, again, another Aussie, who was part of the World Series Cricket Initiative that launched when Kerry Packer invested into that decades and decades ago. If you don't know cricket, basically it was a huge disruptive moment for the sport decades ago in a similar vein where a lot of players were feeling like they were not getting the, the money they deserved. And this new massive backer came and threw a load of money at them to create a new format for the sport caused huge uproar in the industry there was expirations of contracts or suspensions galore there was all sorts of things going very similar to what we're seeing in this in this instance here so anyway the point is that i was expecting to see some of that transfer into what we would see right from t off one uh, and basically what we saw is pretty much a, a quite a, a a lean broadcast experience with the usual stuff you would expect from a typical golf broadcast Uh, the difference was that because of that shotgun start format there was so much going on everyone was the the broadcast was jumping around left right and center so there was non-stop shots happening all the time in in the space of say five minutes in the pga you might see i don't know five different shots here you might see 20 it was four times as quick um which is has its ups and downs so pros are it's really you have to keep focused and you're actually watching intensely to keep up with what's going on the flip side is it's hard to keep a track of what's going on because there's there's so much movement but it gets you sort of into it i think more than you might get for some other from some other golfing experiences so that was quite interesting but what you did start to see is gradually they built out the broadcast they started adding extra layers of data they started actually um they started narrowing the focus to a couple of the major pairs rather than the scattergun approach which it felt like and talking to the guys on the ground when i got a chance on friday that was obviously very intentional what they didn't want to do is throw the kitchen sink at it and it sunk um, which is obviously a risk, particularly when we see when things are streaming first. We've seen that before when certain properties have launched um, and they've hit they've hit troubles along the way. Um, so they wanted to keep it nice and lean and clean and make sure everyone could follow. Um, so apparently that was very intentional and this is only just the beginning for that broadcast production. But overall, I guess my point here is didn't get that wow factor and shock factor that I expected. But after talking to them and seeing how they've taken it, I kind of get why. Yeah, understandable. I mean, we've talked about uh, DAZN in uh, Italy with Serie A being an example of someone who had kind of a rough start, you know, trying to avoid some of those things. But, you know, wh- where where would you expect this to, to perhaps go next? You know, they've talked about uh, Will Stager, formerly in Endeavor, both Endeavor Streaming and Endeavor On Location. So he's got that live events and streaming background. You know, where would you kind of maybe expect this to go in the future? I mean, to your point, not being familiar with the broadcast that went on but it would seem you know with so much golf going on are they eventually going to allow the platform to have some level of personalization to be able to with so much going on making sure i can focus in on that you know where where, where do you think perhaps it may be going because i take their point about making sure let's get it done right let's let's be average um to start off with and fail um i, I can understand that a little bit yeah i can it's just really surprising given who they are and what money they've got behind them. I really expected it to be the wow factor. Um, and obviously, Will Steger is coming. He's the chief media officer for the property. Is ex-Endeavor Streaming. So you would expect someone with that background, that pedigree, will be um, pretty keen to launch and create their own OTT and DTC offering 
uh, around this at the moment, their whole product is pretty thin. Now, there's some other reasons for that. One is they've actually come together really, really quickly on this um, because they were struggling to get the players on board. Uh, and then all of a sudden it came with a, a great deal of momentum. So I think some of the people I spoke to haven't even changed job titles on LinkedIn and so forth. Like they are, they've jumped straight into the the mouth of all this. Um, they are running, the people that I spoke to who are leading on the digital side, who we might talk to in the future, came in a few weeks ago and had to roll out social strategy, had to roll out some digital strategy. Like it is all working it out as they go along. So I think what they put together was, was admirable in that sense. But yeah, I still really want to see more. And because of Will's background, I expect to see a pretty big play. And on on um, you know, on terms of the experience, how that should shape, it needs to have that interactiveness, like particularly in a shotgun format where you've got so many different groups and players around. And today, when when fans are built around following athletes, particularly as a, an individual led sport that this property will be. People will want to watch what is happening just in the group of Mickelson and Johnson and Vincent, which is one of the groups that was uh, that that I saw. They don't necessarily want to see that scattergun approach all the time. So that's got to have to come, and that's going to come through an OTT platform. It can't come through any other channel. It can't come through YouTube. It can't come through Facebook, um, and it can, it could come through their website perhaps, but they will need to have their own OTT platform. So expect that to come. I'd say that's in its works. I'd be shocked if it's not. Uh, I'm shocked if they're not adding. Like as I said, even in the initial broadcast, they added started adding more and more layer data sets into the broadcast production, which gave it some more, I guess, value to what you were watching. But they need a whole lot more of that to really, I guess, delineate their experience to what is existing in other markets. Otherwise, there's not a huge differentiation between what is already out there. And I think just ticking, we could dig into what um, the broadcast side, but just from from that perspective, I think that's going to be the area you'll see the biggest the biggest growth over the coming over the coming weeks and months. I I'd be I'd be really so shocked if they don't launch their own DTC product in the next couple of months or in the next month or so because every day that they don't, they're just leaving opportunity on the table. They really are. Um, they can't just rely upon uh, YouTube and, and Facebook to be the platforms of choice here. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, Will Stager, find them on LinkedIn, actually put together a, a pretty comprehensive LinkedIn post kind of talking through, you know, aimed at his media executives having questions and kind of talked through some things. And he mentioned that um, Live Golf, similar to the WWE and UFC, have their own in-house production company putting this all together. So it only makes sense that like the WWE, who, you know, sold off that part of the business and UFC would create their own D2C platform. I guess the question would be, there's obviously a lot of money put into this. They're hoping to get something out of it. You know, we've talked about golf TV, um, not necessarily hitting the heights that it had, you know, intended to, and it launched, even if they do go with their own DTC platform, do you think that there's enough there that they can create something to exist on its own? Cause like I said, we've seen something similar, but obviously, as you said, there's, there's the shotgun approach. There's different ways that they could follow the golfers on a one-to-one level with, you know, different mic'd up situations, you know, are they going to be able to do enough with that product to make that something? Cause we've talked about, uh, in our OTT lessons, the field of dream scenario where it's, if you build it, they will come, but that's actually maybe not what we've experienced in the OTT space. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I think where it comes back to, uh, first and foremost, is what is their wider audience strategy? And from what I can tell, and the message has been pretty clear, I think even Will said it in his release, but I've seen elsewhere, is they want widespread awareness 
That's what they want. They want to create wider awareness. So I could see why the DTC play wasn't a priority for them. They want to get as many eyeballs just consuming their content as possible. But they have got a lot of work to do to even get there for that. Um, I do think there's an audience that would happily engage with their DTC offering. But more widely, they did come out with a release, as you said, in Will Stager's post. Let's pick up some of the, the data points there. But they generated over 1 million views across YouTube and Facebook. I think I published some numbers there. Um, the concurrence got up to about 100,000 users on YouTube on day one and a pretty similar number on the final day. Facebook was a, it was was only something like five or 6,000 max on day one and only a one or 2,000 max on day the three, which is the final day. So just for context, you know, Facebook not producing anywhere near the numbers YouTube was. Uh, I think the numbers he, he, he shared was something like, 20 plus networks delivered our coverage to 160 territories around the world, including Viaplay, DAZN, DirecTV, Eleven, Supersport, Spot TV, Spo TV, Lekip, Sport Club, SBS, NBC, Sky Deutschland, uh, Cena, and a bunch of others. Important to note there that that is a non-exclusive broadcast. And in the UK, the only broadcast partner, for example, they had was DAZN. I actually tried to go to DAZN, but I'm not a subscriber to DAZN yet. So I would have had to go through the rigors of actually paying to access it through DAZN. So the audience that they're targeting in that non-exclusive deal is pretty negligible uh, for what you get in certain key markets. I don't know how it was broadcast in some of the other platforms. I'd be really, really interested to see what those numbers look like on some of those more uh, traditional broadcasters, though it's interesting that Sky Deutschland did pick it up. Um, but what's really important out of all of this is, um, you know, PGA Tour is a well-established brand. They have extensive media rights relationships with platforms across the world. Um, I am sure that those broadcasters are treading carefully in damaging the relationship they have with the PGA Tour. I'm sure the PGA Tour, I could say, I'm pretty comfortable to say the PGA Tour is probably making sure that their broadcasters are aware that this is a, a really tricky point for for them uh, and for that relationship if they were to go too deep into relationships like with, with Live Golf. So what we're going to see is Live Golf will have some challenges in getting, say, traditional golf broadcasters to adopt this uh, as a, to create that mainstream awareness that they're talking about. All the major... Uh, broadcasters globally who cover golf will be very hesitant to take this on because of that relationship that they have with the PGA Tour and will be difficult for them to break down. So A, that's why the D2C play becomes a really important part but and finding alternative ways of, of reaching mass audiences if awareness is really their primary objective. Everyone I spoke to on the ground there is not remotely, I wouldn't say they're not worried about it, they all look into 2024. That's where they're focused on. So all of this is just building for them. Um, I mean, a lot of people are saying, is there even a P&L for this? I mean, I'm hearing some of the expenses being thrown at this project. Uh, you know, broadcast production was, I heard through some people were saying that they think it's double what normally the PGA Tour would produce and spend on something like this. Main reasons for that is probably for a multitude of reasons, but equally because of that shotgun format. You need more cameras and more equipment, uh, more production effort to cover things. If there's more going on at the same time, um, so this is be a more expensive proposition. Uh, they're going to have find it difficult to get those broadcast partnerships. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they tackle this this whole situation. I guess one of the things, and you know, throwing it out there, kind of left field. You know, golf is very much seen as a 
traditional sport, the type of people that watch it are in that traditional sort of group, that demographic, you know, there was a little bit of that bump with Netflix and Formula One where it got them some new fans outside of there. Is that perhaps maybe a direction for Live Golf to think maybe the way someone we've talked about in the past, like an overtime uh, or like a XFL where they just kind of modify the rules a little bit to perhaps be a little bit more gauging, a little bit more up to speed um, just to, you know, maybe go after a new golf audience. You know, is that something that, you know, given some of the difficulty it might be to take on that same head to head traditional audience, do they need to start looking at, okay, maybe we go after a new audience for golf and that's the way they need to do it. Yeah. Look, I think that's definitely on their agenda. That's what they're trying to do. I think that's easier said than done because I think all, golf's clearly got an aging audience I, I looked anecdotally through a lot of the comments on those those respective platforms youtube and facebook generally the the feedback from from audiences and fans is pretty positive on the experience overall i said i have some concerns or negatives about the broadcast production being a bit mediocre to begin with so i'm i'm being expecting bigger things to come but i was a bit you know a bit meh on that but in terms of the format in terms of the speed of the shotgun format it definitely seemed to pay dividends for fans again i don't know the data i don't know for example those concurrents i mentioned uh, on those platforms they stayed really flat like consistent through the whole period which is quite surprising that should tell us that people are staying and watching for a period of time but YouTube, whether YouTube or Live Golf give out that that detailed data on where those audiences are actually coming from, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. If they actually start sharing that stuff, yeah, I think they're positioning themselves to be for the younger generation. I think the younger generation probably preferred this format. You know, like in anything, change is going to be more respond more receptive for those that are of the younger generations. But there's a lot of work to do to sort of make golf appealing for those audience groups, and actually the format. Shotgun starts not a new innovation for the sport. It's actually in every corporate day you run over any sort of sort of numbers like fifty plus. You would typically do a shotgun format, so like it's not an innovative format per se for those in, who play golf a lot. It's innovative in the context of professional golf. Um, I do think if PGA Tour wins, okay, we're going to shift our format to we're not going to have any cut anymore, but we're going to have an extended shotgun for seventy odd people, uh, or do a double shotgun start or the first two rounds. That would have would be make a loads of sense to make their day first two rounds much more uh, relevant and engaging than the, the current format. But we'll we'll see if that plays out. Um, look, they are definitely trying to do that. They had concerts. They had Craig David. They had Jesse J uh, singing "It's About the Money" or something, uh, which was a you know listen to that song and you you find it, find it quite amusing. They brought some DJs in, so they they're definitely trying to make that quasi festival feel in with the sport did feel a bit weird to have it all connected but you know we're here to talk to digital market digital strategy here and 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 socially they were publishing a lot of lot of good content they were they seemed to be ready for what they're publishing on twitter publishing on facebook but they didn't i don't think they even had the chance to set up a tiktok account or set up a snap account so they are really at the early stages so i mentioned to see how they tackle that because those are the platforms really for younger generations right like if you're talking younger, younger demographics TikTok, TikTok and Snap are where you have to be. So, yeah, I mean, the, the jury is out for this for quite a while as to how they'll tackle this, but there's no question they are going for the younger audience. Yeah, well, it sounds like this is, well, we already know this is a story we're going to follow. So I think their next event is over in the States. We'll see 
if there are a improvements in the production we'll see if they can not just maintain the audience but continue to grow the audience i think one of the things we've talked about building the platform is actually probably the easiest thing to do when it comes to d2c um it's how do you market it and get the audience actually there you can build a pretty nice platform but if you can't market it it doesn't uh it's a bit tough to do so i something for us to keep an eye on yeah, look, I think I just I would just add this whole building it from the bottom up versus trying to hit the market with a bang. I think logistically it makes sense, as I said before. Like they didn't have much time, so if they had another, if they had a year runway, legitimate year runway where they knew what was going to come, they probably would have done it differently. Um, but like we've talked to different sports properties, and you talk to uh, you know we've talked to the Bundesliga and and Man United as an example. Man United's an example where they prefer to be last movers but get it right, um, and it works pretty well from them. Yeah, you know, it works pretty well for those guys if they're building a property and then they can throw their resource into it and nail nail it as a last mover rather than test with the audience. Like I'm not a big believer in burning bridges with audiences from the beginning and I think they had to make sure they didn't do it at this stage. So I was surprised, but I can now in reflection understand why they did take it down this this road. For sure. Well, another story that came out uh, over the weekend, I guess maybe not story, but speculation, you know, we've talked, you know, a couple occasions about Netflix and separately as a platform. Then we've also talked about their relationship with Formula One and the Drive to Survive series. And, you know, we've hypothesized, you know, what would happen if this were to take place. But it seems as though there's at least some smoke, whether or not there's actual fire, you know, will be to see be seen but there's actually some news out there that netflix is considering the possibility of trying to get rights for formula one so i think you know we've talked about it a little bit but you know maybe talk about some of the practicalities you know what, what would that necessarily mean um for netflix in terms of diverting from their previous strategies what would they need to do to actually make this happen and then whether or not that would actually be of interest for formula one yeah so um yeah, so on just on the Live Golf stuff, obviously I published a bit of a, a couple of threads and different posts on Twitter. Uh, and I got a lot of feedback about those. And equally, I post something on the ESPN, sorry, the F1 and Netflix situation because I've seen a lot of news about it, but I kind of don't believe it's as, as, like everyone's talking about this rudimentary, oh, Netflix will just go for it. This is no problem. It's actually really complex um, for a multitude of reasons and why I published something on Twitter on this and I had a lot of, again, feedback around around it with differing opinions. Um, the main thing for me is everyone can see it looking through sort of different lenses, right? F1, oh, F1 had drive to survive and therefore this is going to be another great add-on. So it's a no-brainer. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that was a success uh, for F1. How much of it is it actually a success for Netflix in the grand scheme of things? Like if you took a Squid Game and Stranger Things and so forth, how much does it resonate for them in terms of on a global scale of having as impact? So do they want to change their whole strategy to build around F1 in one market? That That's the, the initial question because what, what needs to come behind that is you can't just go out and buy live sports rights for one sports property, one market. They have to then make a com greater commitment that they are going to go all in um, on, on going for sports rights. I would love to see them do this. I would love to see them do this. But there's a couple of definitive reasons why they, you know, a Netflix wouldn't and also why it's not really in the, the best interest for F1 to do it. So, you know, firstly, um, the competitors that they would be competing with are the incumbents like ESPN and, of course, NBC and even Discovery. Importantly, when they're buying rights for these sorts of things, 
is they have multiple channels of distribution. So they have linear, they have streaming, they have AVOD, etc. Netflix doesn't have any of that, although they are obviously building an AVOD uh, integration with their platform. Netflix greatly limits the reach that F1 wants and, and also naturally the discoverability uh, of F1 through its traditional channels. You think about what the NBC and F1 can put into this in terms of the marketing and promotion of the sports properties. You think about ESPN, if anyone's watched ESPN content, is if they have a sports property, they will cover it in their news actively. They'll build magazine shows around it. They create this whole network, the same with Sky Sports and then Sky Deutschland. They build a whole ecosystem around that sport to get audiences and fans and consumers excited about that sport so when it is time to watch, they'll tune in. So that that Netflix does not have is absolutely massive when you think of where F1 is in its growth uh, growth uh, cycle uh, in the US. It is only at the tipping point, it's sorry, the, the beginning point of its journey and trying to become a dominant sports property um, in the US. Um, equally, you know, Discovery and Warner Brothers would be a great candidate for this. You know, obviously they've made a big move with a recent acquisition or, or merger. Uh, and could they make a big splash in, in, the, in the US by acquiring these rights and integrating it into whether it's Turner, whether it's HBO Max in the future? There's a lot of options for them there. I could see them making a move. But again, Netflix not sold on. Um, and the other app, a practical application of all this is, is the tech side. You know, you think about how it would be served again. Netflix would need to rejig their tech stack to cope with serving live sports. Like no doubt they're willing if they're willing to make that investment they could, whether it's by acquisition or engineering, but to have sports as part of that is quite a commitment and unlikely just for F1 itself. You wouldn't make that change and evolution just for F1. So there's a, there's a fair bit in there, and obviously again you, UI considerations, user interface considerations. Do you want F1 to be uh, F1 is in relative terms still a niche sport? right? It's not the NFL or NBA or any of those properties. There's nowhere near it. So how would you serve that in that user experience to make sure your this major investment, which could be a loss leader in a lot of instances, is bringing you the returns if you've got audiences that may not actually be interested in this, which would be a majority of your audience. So there's this, there's some of the things off the top of my head. There's a few more things in there, but there's some of the things that really stood out for me when people started speculating about, about the deal. Yeah, to your point, it, it seems hard to imagine that being the, the route to go to, you know, it almost feels like if Formula One wanted to go to such a specific D2C platform like Netflix, they could just stick to their own F1 TV if they were really, you know, in terms of what the reach is, like, to your point, I don't know how much bigger the reach is on Netflix, as opposed to just doing your own D2C play, which they already have in certain markets. Yeah, so in the US, uh, one of the, the the deal breakers in the previous cycle was with NBC. So NBC, I believe, had the rights, either were in for them or had them, but they did. The deal breaker was that F one wanted to keep their D to C platform separate. In the UK, they do not have that in place. So Sky Sports has all the rights. Their D to C platform does not have the live rights in the UK. So in the US, the plan is, as far as I understand. Again, the caveat is, unless the check's big enough, as it always is, that the F1 TV would stand alone and they want one of these major broadcasters to pay, I think the reported numbers are 100 million a season for the rights, or 100 million for the rights, sorry, not 100 million a season. 
So that that could be a play. Now, the ideas that came to mind when thinking about other platforms is what NBC could do with it because you think about what the NBC have done through Peacock and the WWE deal we've talked about, $1 billion over five years to have the WWE's content on the platform. Could you see F1 TV being integrated into Peacock? Yes, definitely could do. And that could be, a, if they if they believe in this as a product, I could easily see NBC making a play like that. And because the Comcast is part of that Sky Sports ecosystem and family, they would have a lot of data to share on the, the net benefits of that as a strategy. So uh, yeah, that that's kind of just it in a, in a bit of a nutshell. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's more to happen, but the only reason, the only thing I would say is Netflix could still make a move for this. I'm not saying they won't, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for them unless they're going to make a big, big play for say the NBA rights in the US, which are coming up very shortly and going for a bigger play. I cannot see them going for a live, for a big deal for live rights for the F1 um, just for the US alone. Yeah. I mean, totally speculative, you know, one, it's sort of, it's on PTI, one of my favorite sports shows in America. You know, they talk about news or noise. Clearly, we're saying we think this story is a bit of noise, but, you know, maybe if you had to put your speculative hat on, you know, why, where is the smoke coming from? Or to your point, is it is, is it because we're in the, um, what we refer to as the dog days of summer and there's only so many things to talk about and someone's whipped it up or is it the future uh, aspect of the NBA? You know, if we're just putting our speculative hat on, Look, they probably, I'd say they generally would be looking at this. Um, you know, Reed Hastings, co-CEO, founder, um, did come out, uh, I think it was a year or two years ago, and said if they were up for negotiation, he would look at them. And so that's probably what started all of this, is they have said actively they would look at considering them. I just, the, the, the other side to this is why Netflix could. We've talked about it, I think, if, probably a month or two ago when Netflix's numbers came out and they took a huge, huge hit. The reason they took a hit then was subscriber acquisition. And we did talk about it then that, you know, a major sports property uh, like the NBA could have a real impact on, on subs numbers if they've hit a bit of a flat line, even if they cost, uh, if they're a bit of a loss leader to drive those subs acquisition. But, F1 alone in the US alone is not enough to draw to make a make a you know to move the needle on the the share price by doing that move or to to move the needle on subs acquisition taking a massive bump in the US. If they did an F1 global deal, okay, we, we're talking a different ball game here, but we're talking the first time that could happen, and we all know that that's not achievable because of the fragmentation of of F1 rights or of sports rights full stop. So there's a lot more complexity to it than there is. It's not just an easy plug and play here, which I think some people who aren't okay with it would, would consider. Yeah, for sure. Well, Nick, unless you got anything else, you know, it's always a pleasure to, to catch up with you. And, you know, it was an exciting weekend of different news from, you know, the live golf perspective, which as we said, we're going to follow much more and there'll be more of it in the future. And then always fun to talk a little bit of Netflix, but pleasure as always, Nick. So I don't know if you have anything else you want to sign off with, but otherwise, you know, good as always. No, no, thanks very much. Good to chat with you, Chris. And uh, look, we wanted to get this pod under, uh, get this done off the back of the, the weekend's uh, activity. Um, so thanks everyone for, for tuning in. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. 
ultimately want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.